Hi there. Welcome to the Creating Australia podcast. My name is Jessica Reynolds, and I'm a private town planner and business owner based in Brisbane, Queensland. I'm passionate about engaging with the amazing people that make the property and development industry what it is today. In Creating Australia, I want to learn from experts in the industry and share their knowledge and wisdom with you. In each episode, we'll talk with different people and unpack their past experiences and innovative ideas for the future. Join me now for an episode of Creating Australia, where we dive into the industry exploring local stories, projects, businesses, people, ideas, and more. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people don't know who Joe Adset is, I'd almost say they might live under a rock because your projects are definitely out there. You are becoming an iconic um, architect, especially based in Brisbane. Um, but for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Oh, thank you, Jess. Um, very, very humbling um, <laughs> to receive such kind praise. Uh, I, I'm Joe Adset. I'm a 37-year-old Brisbane architect. Um, I run team called Joe Architects, we're award-winning architects um, and we design, build and sell our own projects. Um, and so we're just a bit more than a develop, uh, an architect, we're, we're a developer as well and um, I'd say that probably 40% of our workload is traditional clients and 60% is our own projects. That's awesome. And who are you as a person? What do you do on your weekends? Oh, I love bushwalking, actually. I've got a, a wife and two children, and we spend a lot of time in the outdoors. So um, we've, we've built this lovely big home called Boomerang House, which is my own personal home, but I, I tend to spend about, um, you know, three hours a week grounded there, and then the rest of the time <laughs> just come there to eat and sleep, and, and then the rest of the time we're out, we're, we're out in, in the mountains um, in the countryside, going to the beach, yeah, all, all the benefits that the Southeast Queensland has to offer. No, that's awesome. I love that. So how did this all happen? Because I'm going to assume you weren't an overnight success. I assume it started somewhere and there's been a bit of a process to get to where you are today. How, like, how did you fall into architecture? Yeah, and, and I guess for, for every success story, there's a backstory. And, and um, you know, I'd like to really uh, think that my foundation years working as a, as a young architect at Richard Kirk, um, an exceptional Brisbane practitioner or global practitioner now. Uh, Richard, um, I, I learned, I said, four years there. I was working on some signature projects, designing them as a young architect. Um, mm-hmm. Really got thrown um, in the deep end there by Richard, and, and I learned so much from him personally, but was able to design a, a Australian uh, broadcasting corporation headquarters to be involved in that process. Um, mm-hmm. And then started a business in about 2009, 2010, so about 10 years ago, um, and really went from doing these great big projects to doing absolutely nothing, you know, toilet block extensions and office fit outs and just, just anything that came our way. We, we, we had that adage when we start to just do everything for everyone. Um, and, and, and we had no time to market, no time to do anything, so... It just became the old adage of well, just whatever comes your way, just do it as well as you possibly can. And word of mouth will get around that you're, you're, you're trustworthy and um, you're, you're good at what you do. So did those toilet blocks have the Joe Adset signature at that time? Or? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a few projects out there that we probably would have messed up to doing, but yeah, look, we, we, we had to stay alive and, and, and do some of this work. And a lot of the... I mean, that's one of the issues with the construction industry in general, the development space, is that a lot of the projects don't 
have a design emphasis. They're just a means to an end or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a necessary thing that, that the community needs. Yeah, okay. So you're, you've kind of got an ethos that it can't just be practical. It does have to look beautiful or it has to have some sort of architectural merit. I guess we kind of came at it from working out in the whole gamut of kind of um, uh, development space and, and project space, what, what we really love doing. And, and really where we found our niche was in residential projects. We, we found that our goals were aligned to our clients' goals. So mm-hmm. clients with the highest quality expectations. And I just love that. And so we really kind of fell into the slipstream of doing these beautiful um, houses and renovations with private clients. Um, yep. A lot of developers were developing projects in that space, in the multi-residential space, and, and doing houses and one-off beautiful projects as well. But we found that goals were slightly misaligned with a lot of those developers. So okay. they would say, hey, we want to do all these great projects and, and, and pay homage to your design. But they really didn't end up delivering it as well as um, we hoped. And I found that, um, you know, as an artistic person or creative, uh, almost makes me cry when you see your kind of ideas butchered and so it's a soul destroying exercise to see it happen first hand. Yeah, no, I think that's a very common um, I guess concern for architects is putting their heart and soul into a design, putting themselves into it, then to just see the finished product being completely butchered. Absolutely. And and you know, it was from that page that I just said, hey, you know what, I reckon we can do this ourselves. And mm-hmm. um Ever talking to a few people at the time, and I thought we were a bit crazy, a little bit nuts, but we just we just did it, and we started doing our own projects and saying, "Hey, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and back up these ideas that some clients didn't want to back, or people thought, oh, that's too bit too risky," and and we just went for it. And um, I just think it's one of the one of the problems with the development industry is you, you see a lot of guys who are pioneers and and and, and architects are pioneers, they're true visionaries, really good architects, mm-hmm. really good visionary. And they're also the best developers. And it's no coincidence that some of the major developers, Sunland, um, Murdoch, I mean, these are all companies that started with great architects and still run by great architects, a lot of them. So, um, you know, I really saw that as an inspiration saying, you know what, let's, let's build this thing, let's, let's go for it, let's do these great projects. And... Um, you know, lean with design as our next selling point. Yeah. So I'm really interested to hear when you made that decision and you did your first project, how did that actually go? What was it? And obviously I'm assuming it wasn't so horrible an experience that you kept going. Yeah, well, um, we, we kind of uh, uh, saw this vacant block of land. It was across the from our office at the time. Uh, I wanted to build an office for ourselves. That was one of the problems mm-hmm. that I had in at the time, thinking, well, I'll be the tenant, so therefore, and so we approached it as an office play, and the, the lovely lady that we bought it from said, oh, there's a catch to buying this sign. I said, what's that? She said, well, the other lady on the other side said, said that she wants to sell at the same time, so you have to buy both. So all of a sudden, this idea of having her own office was out the window, and I had to quickly think, well, geez, I really want to do this, and it became a much bigger project overnight, and literally had to sell our house to finance this thing, so my wife um, who's been pioneer with me or uh, um, a co-pilot on this journey the whole time? Um, she was really on board with it, and we just threw everything we had of it, and we developed um, um, sixteen 
apartments. And it was in a market, which we went to market. It was right at the height of that kind of investment boom crash that we saw in Brisbane, where all the apartments were just kind of, everything was just falling down. The whole market was collapsing. Prices, mm-hmm. projects were settling. It was just, it was an absolute mess. And I was like, why are you doing apartments? What's wrong with you? I said, well, no one's doing uh, apartments for, 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 for real people. This is all just apartments for um, speculative, you know, selling cheap housing to Chinese investors. I, mm-hmm. you know, this is a perfect scheme. Just, that's why it's collapsing. If we bank on fundamentals that people uh, uh, want really good design, really good houses, you know, let's build it and they'll come. And and we did that. And as a first-time developer, we, we took a huge risk. Um, it sounds it. And customers took a huge risk with us. And, and but they did. And, and the project sold out. Um, we, we were recompensed extremely fairly. We, we did really well. Um, I think that design of that building, we were so conservative because I was so paranoid um, about build costs blowing out, about overstepping the market with, with our buyers. So it was quite conservative design, but we stuck to the fundamentals we concentrated mm-hmm. on really good natural light, really good cross ventilation, all, all these kind of key things, key metrics that um, we knew would resonate with our, our, our market um, our buyers. Um, but all of the key hallmarks that people ask for in, in our client projects, we, we just implemented into the design of these apartments. And um, we, we just think that, you know, going forward, you just really need to listen to those those true, genuine buyers. Okay. And how did you find that information from the buyers? Is this driven wholly by you or did you create a team around you during that initial development to bring in that data, that information about what people wanted so that you could have, you know, faith to continue with it? Well, a lot of it was just um, initially was just guessing, um, Jessica, and, and <laughs> okay. you know, winging it, so to speak, and resting on our laurels of what we knew and worked within the industry. Um, but then fine-tuning that, obviously, um, on our second project and, and listening to what our buyers wanted. And we took cues from that. And, and the resounding feedback working with a lot of these buyers is, is they'd ask for these things that you just say, well, that's, that's completely over the top. You think, well... No one's ever going to do that. Um, so that's how I want direct lift access into my unit, and I want you know, garage parking, and I want storage, and I want. So, and, and I just kind of went away from that. Thought, well, no one else is doing the market is doing that. Well, I don't really do that. It worked last time. We, we put apartments in the market that no one else is doing. So I think kind of we've been moved, moved forward from that first pioneering experience, knowing that, well, if we always look for these gaps in the marketplace, will always be the only, will have no competition. So then, therefore, um, preparing your own recipe for success. Um, and, of course, that can backfire um, really badly. Um, we get to have that. But um, I think if, on the majority, if you're having three or four really good projects going, well, if one does take and do poorly, well, you'll still be, mm-hmm. you'll still be okay. Would you say you're more risk, you, you'd take on more risks now or would you find you're more risk adverse now? We take on a lot more risks, but I'd say they're calculated risks. Yeah. Um, we're, we're very scientific about these risk-taking measures that we do take now. We look at a lot of data, we look at a lot of statistics, ABS data and um, um, data out of uh, our price finder and, and some of the other technologies that we do do. Uh, very calculated, um, right down to kind of metrics and uh, percentages of what people spend. And, you know, it's, it's very much based in... Um, historic data, and, and you can see within the data gaps 
um, those gaps in the market and, and where you've really got to kind of put your product into. I mean, for, for what all the major property developers are doing, um, it, it, it's just we're just doing it on a, on a, uh, in a much smaller team. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that sounds very exciting. So you're basically finding, you know, whole gaps in the market, providing a product that people want. So what are you working on now? So right now we're doing um, a project in Utah. So we put together um, out of that kind of gap in the market that we identified, we we really went after a a, a luxury in Brisbane is really probably only a big dog on the riverfront. And we wanted to challenge that notion in a few even the major developers have gone after that space and um, um, and had failed. And we thought, well, let's let's do this and, and let's go after it. And we we did that. We're selling that project. It sold out during a uh, pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's one of the projects we're now delivering. And it's one thing to design a beautiful building. It's another thing to back it up and actually deliver the quality product. So mm-hmm. that, that is one of the greatest challenges that we could face is um, – is ensuring that um, no one is left out at the end of that, that buying experience that, um, that we do get to the end of the project and we can go, hey, this is better than what we were promised at the outset. I think, I think that's the key metric to um, the success of the project. So um, we're just digging that project out of the ground at the moment um, and we've got another uh, 11 months or so until completion. So uh, quality control is, is the most important part of that job and we've got a whole team of architects here um, working daily on, on, all, on every decision in that building to make sure it is, it is a genuine success. So these are your own projects and then obviously you do work for um, private clients as well. Do you then, um, you know, have tight control over the project management of delivering those houses due to that quality control? Or is Absolutely. it a bit of a up to the client? Yeah, we really let the clients control their own projects. Um, Often clients don't want to pay an architect to project manage and deliver it um, at, at, at the back end. And, and that's mm-hmm. just a um, And I often kind of say, well, hey, let's just collaborate and work with a tried and tested builder. And, mm-hmm. and you will pay a, a little bit more for that really good builder to manage the project um, after design phase. But um, if, if you'd be spending that with us anyway to then manage a cheaper builder who may not be up to the quality expectations and then it becomes a really adversarial relationship between architect and builder. I said, why don't we just do it the other way around where the builders, you know, have got an exceptionally quality builder and, and everyone's goals are aligned. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a much better way to approach construction. I, I certainly advocate for that in our own um, delivery of our projects. We'd like to work mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the tier one builders, um, the, the best guys in the game and say, hey, guys, the, the common goal here is quality. It's not about um, underpaying you or getting the, the cheapest bill price. This is about getting the best outcome. How do we achieve that in a relationship whereby uh, everyone's on the same page and we want the best outcome? Yeah. I'm just w- wondering if that's a good tip for people looking to either develop small residential or their own houses where the collaboration is probably the better tip of don't just cut the architect out because you're probably not going to get what you paid for at the start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's always, um, um, I think it's best to, to use people's best skill sets in their best um, areas of expertise. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. architects are very good managers and um, overseers of the project, but at the same time, builders best place and best served to to perform that role, um, particularly yeah. if their goal is to deliver the architect's uh, vision. And, and yeah. if those two things are a client's objective, 
both people were fortunately funded, they both paid by the fight, therefore there's, there's, there's a common ground there and, and excellence will be achieved. Um, when, when you put into a situation whereby Azaki can try and save the client money and try and go with a really poor builder um, to save the money and then you're having to go in there and fight the quality, all of a sudden the goal's in the because the builder's trying to make a dollar and just put a cheap price in it. So it, yep. it just doesn't work. It's always fun. No, that's some great advice. So back to you and your career, what has been your biggest challenge? Oh, um, probably finding, finding a niche. Um, I struggled with that for a long time and trying to work out what our niche was within um, not only as an architect but also um, within the development industry. It is a mm-hmm. very common marketplace. And if I could go back 10 years ago, I'd probably tell myself, hey, concentrate on one thing at a time. Um, just do one thing really well and do it, you know, just do it to your best of your abilities. How um, long so do you think it took you to figure that out? If it was 10 years ago you started? Oh, maybe, maybe it's about six or seven years. It really yep. until it's got a chord with me and I, and I kind of thought, well, if we just keep doing this really well, we'll, we'll, we'll do it better. And that really got to a point where we just had to stop trying to please all of our clients and all of our customers and, and just stop, stop trying to... Um, do particularly commercial projects. We found commercial mm-hmm. projects soft because, again, the, the goals and quality were just not aligned between, um, you know, our clients and ourselves and our customer. Often it's just goals from the denominator, which is price, that, that mm-hmm. leads discussion and just saying, hey, I, I don't want to get on price. This is a waste of my time uh, and, and skill set. So I'm out and so is my team. So we just kind of said no to that, shut that door. And since ever we've done that, um, we've, we've just opportunities have opened for us. So it's kind yep. of um, um, just focusing on um, luxury residential particularly has been our most rewarding experience. No, that's great. So I feel like you've just taken your biggest challenge and made it probably your best tip for up-and-coming architects. Don't be scared to back yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I think um, it, it can be seen that pioneering is, is a daunting and scary task, but um, um, innovation we've seen in, in any industry wreak havoc upon competition. And, and we see it time and time again. We've seen things come into the market um, in the last 10 years that have changed things fundamentally. And they start with great ideas, with great visions. Um, you know, techn- technological revolutions are afoot. Uh, Uber, Mm-hmm. Airbnb, I mean, all these big disruptors we, we talk about, what are the disruptors in the construction industry? And that's really kind of what we're doing at a grassroots level at the moment. Looking okay. at, well, um, you know, we're, we're really knuckling down. We, we, I listen to a lot of podcasts, including yours, Jess. I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Good plug. Thank you. <laughs> but there, was, there was another one the other day uh, that I listened to on Ted Bale, um, who um, used to be, uh, I think it was the ex-premier of Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I should say, and uh, he's also an architect, and I was really fascinated. He he had a fact that um, he explained. He said we have the highest cost of buildings in the world in Australia, but um, um, our buildings are still mediocre comparatively, and still full of defects, and as we've seen, mm-hmm. fires, and and all these defective and structural defects in our buildings. But what is going on? And and really trying to tackle it from the grassroots level. Um, and, and look to kind of what, what the solutions might be. If you can solve that, you'll, you'll, you'll be successful. So, you know, a little red hot tip there to young budding architects and 
and other property professions out there. If you can solve that problem, um, you'll be uh, very successful. That's excellent. Okay, so I assume you're going to be staying in the industry and you're not leaving for politics, though? Oh, God, no. No, we're, um, <laughs> we're here to stay. Um, we're, we're putting roots down into a lot of different projects and markets at the moment in, in mm-hmm. Brisbane, uh, South East Queensland. I think the fundamentals are great for property uh, in South East Queensland. Agreed. On a comparative note to Sydney and Melbourne, I think we're extremely affordable. Um, and, and I think we've got some, some really talented people and professionals to deliver these projects. Um, our build prices are still relatively or comparatively quite um, reasonable in Brisbane, so mm-hmm. quite a, a wages are quite low comparatively, so cost of living is quite low, so we have the opportunity to build great buildings. And um, it's in that space that, that No, that's excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today, Joe. If people want to contact you or your business, what's the best way? I'll always buy an email. We've got a great team here that get um, straight to to our customers. So, but Mm -hmm. always buy an email to our website and all just direct messages on Instagram. Um, Always a better space to connect as well. Excellent. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like to see this product in action, please head over to the Urban Planners Queensland YouTube channel. Links are in the episode notes or you can find the recordings by visiting upqld.com.au. That is upqld.com.au.